You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 77 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. This is the show for January 2020, and I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. Joining me today, I have a fabulous panel who have recently left being in a political union with me. I am joined by the recently Brexited Simon Parnell from the Essential Apple podcast and the wonderful Gazmaz from the, I guess, multinational MyMac podcast. Hi, gents. Good evening. Hello. Actually, it's terrible yes. to introduce you together and then make you stomp on each other. It's very unprofessional yeah, yeah. of me. So, so we personally, I'm apologising for us uh, leaving you on the lurch in a lurch, um, Bart. But um, uh, I didn't choose it, but the majority did apparently. So, henceforth, therewith we leave. Hmm. Indeed. Well, it, it is official. You 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 went toodle pip as as we record this. Yes. This is your fifth day outside of mm. the EU. Yes, yes. And I'm hearing lots of people saying, yes, and nothing's fallen over. And I'm thinking, yes, you wait till the end of the year. I was going to say, that's because this is called a transition period where literally nothing changes until the end of the year. And then, then the falling over begins. Yeah. Yes, I'm not, uh, I'm not quite so sure about, you know, how next January is going to pan out. Thank you. No, we're in for a year of very, very interesting news. All of those people thinking Brexit is off our news are oh so sorely mistaken. But anyway, we're here in Ireland. We're taking the opportunity of a brief respite to have a general election on Saturday. So it'll be all changed on this end, too, most likely. Very interesting. Anyway, we are not here to try solve Brexit. Thank goodness, or we'd never win. Um, Never be anywhere. Exactly. We are here to talk about a month's worth of Apple news. And it has been, despite being January, a darn busy month. So a few quick follow-ups to things we've talked about before, before we get stuck into fresh stuff. Um, Apple are now selling Sonos um, as, uh, sorry, Apple has started selling Sonos just as Sonos are in the middle of suing Google and Amazon for patent theft. So uh, I guess Sonos like Apple, but don't like Google and Amazon. Um, interesting. And also try, and also trying to upset all of their customers. Uh, what they did somewhat, what they said that they weren't going to do firmware updates for a certain generation of products and then they backpedaled faster than... <laughs> Yes, I tried yes. to when I nearly when I was in an accident recently. Yes, anyway. Yes, um, we also now have confirmation that Apple had promised you would be able to export your Apple Card transactions. Well, that has arrived, or as uh, I more put it, rejoice! Apple Card customers can now export monthly transactions. Uh, Creative Cloud has become the biggest name I have yet seen to adopt sign-in with Apple. So if you want all of those shiny fonts you can get from the Creative Cloud app onto your iOS device, you can now do so without giving Adobe any of your data, which is nice. Uh, iOS 13.3.1 has been released and it uh, provides the promised toggle switch to completely disable all location tracking, even uh, for the U1 chip, which basically means you cannot use the U1 chip when you have it completely locked down for legal reasons, as we talked about in the last episode. And also from the last episode, we mentioned that Apple would be launching special coverage of the 2020 US presidential election. Well, they have launched special coverage of the US 2020 presidential election. And finally, uh, LG have followed through and have um, released the software update for their 2019 smart televisions to allow them to access Apple TV 
So they are all some nice follow-ups. Very good. Yes, I, I, I can't remember what um, particular developer or application or what it was I was I was um, trying to sign in to the other day and it gave me uh, sign in with Apple and um, I kind of backed out of it because I don't think I was that sold on the application but that's the first time I've seen it and noted it so uh, I shall keep an eye open for that for more sign-ins. Yeah, well, the, the the logic, I guess, is that you don't need to be too pushed on the application because now you can safely try it, whereas previously... Someone has terrible background home. I'm hoping that doesn't stay with mm. us the whole recording. Um, well, this is, by the way, to the listeners, this is our fourth or fifth attempt at recording, so we're going to struggle through because we, can, we, we, we can't get, seem to get any better than this, but someone definitely has some strange background issues. Anyway... Um, yeah, no. The nice thing with signing with Apple is that it is safer, at least, to uh, to experiment. Mm. Yeah, so I, I might give it a go now. I know that. Yes. If I come across it again. Yeah. Uh, one notable number uh, worth mentioning um, in America: one in five adults now wear either a smartwatch or a fitness tracker. So that is a good market for Apple to be such a dominant player in. And that is, you know, you know, five years ago, it was like, you know, effectively zero in five. And now we're up to one in five. That's pretty good. It's pretty good, isn't it, really, when you think about it, to have one in five of uh, a population, any population, really. But especially, uh, you know, America, where, you know, it's all all sales and you've got, uh, what what have they got? Three, what, what's the population of America? 250 or 300 million? I can't remember what it is yeah, now. But... Well, either way. It's, one it's in a five lot of people. Of that. Use it. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of people wearing your uh, your... Fitness trackers, certainly. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is across all brands, right? So basically, this is the size of the market Apple is playing in, but oh. Apple is doing well in that market. Right. Sorry. Sorry. I read that as being Apple. So my mistake. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. So that's total between smartwatches and trackers. So that's your Fitbits. Right. But uh, in, what, what, do, what do they reckon Apple holds in the smartwatch slash fitness tracker? About 60%, I think. Well, see, it all depends on how you count it, Simon, because in the smartwatch, they're absolutely dominant, so they're definitely up to 60%. But if you start including your, your bargain basement Fitbits, then then Apple are nowhere near those kind of numbers because, you mm. know, th- those are given out with the cornflakes, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But still, it's a big market for Apple to be a significant player in, so that is definitely good. And growing, which yep. is also good. Oh, and the, all I have to say about that is I now see, you know, people wearing Apple Watches everywhere. Yeah, and and if not Apple Watches, then everyone seems to be counting their steps. You're, it's quite normal in a meeting for everyone to look down at about 10 to the hour and suddenly find an excuse to stand up, um, <laughs> which is grand. <laughs> Moving on to legal latest. Uh, we talked last time about Apple suing Gerard Williams. He was once the lead of Apple's A-series chip development and then... Uh, rather dramatically appeared on the radar as the founder of a startup called Nuvia, who were going to make competing CPUs. Um, Apple didn't like that, and they sued him, basically saying, you basically set this company up on Apple time. And it went to court, and uh, Mr. Williams tried to have the case thrown out, and he has failed to have it thrown out. So that's being reported as a partial win for Apple, which is... Not incorrect, but it may give more of an impression that this case is further along than it really is. All that's happened is the case has not been dismissed. 
Now, in the process of not dismissing the case, there was a judgment made, and that judgment is nonetheless interesting because uh, Mr. Williams's argument was that it was illegal for Apple to sue him because California doesn't allow non-compete clauses. Uh, and the judge basically said, that's all good and well. However, it is the law does not permit an employee to plan and prepare to create a competitive enterprise prior to termination if the employee <laughs> does so on their employer's time and with the employer's resources. Now, that's obviously not rocket science. I would say that's blindingly bloody obvious. But it's very much important for case law in California that that get set down there. The other contentious issue was that um, Apple had evidence that Mr. Williams was doing stuff on company time because they had his SMS messages from his work phone. (laughs) And Mr. Williams claimed that was an invasion of his privacy. And the judge basically went, "Uh, no, it's a work phone. No. (laughs) So again, nothing earth shattering here. But given the newness of the ban on non-competes, this is actually very important case law and is a big deal for startups because they startup founders need to be careful that if they're preparing a startup while employed somewhere else, they need to be very careful to do so on their own time with their own resources and not with the resources of their current employer. So, you know, arguably morally that would have always been true, but now it's it's got some legal footing underneath it from this judgment. So that is that caught a lot of people's attention. Apple versus Wylan continues. Um, last we left our case, there was to be a retrial to recalculate damages because Apple won in, I believe, it was the Supreme Court to get this retrial. So they had been on the hook for $145 million. Well, they're now on the hook for $85 million. It still strikes me as, you know, they're still guilty, but okay. I guess they've saved some pocket change. Good for them. They're still, gu- they're still guilty, but more cheaply guilty. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we we did talk about this the other day, and it it appears, as far as I understood it, that um, at no point were Apple um, not guilty. I'm not even sure that Apple really um, contested their guilt. It was more about the amount of damages. Yeah, this is a very low-level patent to do with like really, really deep-down stuff inside the uh, the wireless chips to do with being able to make a phone call while being on the internet at the same time, which is kind of a core feature of iPhones. Yeah, and um, basically, it, the it was all about um, the retrial was on the basis that uh, Wylan had incorrectly uh, calculated the damages, and the judge said you can either take ten million. Or you can have another trial. Unsurprisingly, they went for another trial. Which worked out 8.5 times better for them. <laughs> Indeed. Now, not small change at all, even for Apple, is Caltech versus Apple and Broadcom. So again, this is over uh, pretty important patents in the chipsets. I mean, the Broadcom chipsets are vital to the, to Apple's wireless products. And uh, Apple and Broadcom together owe a billion dollars to Caltech, uh, and Apple actually owe approximately 80% of that. Um, So that is really quite substantial. Um, But to put it into context, we also learned this month that Apple and Broadcom's chip deal has been renegotiated and is now worth 15 billion US dollars. Wow. So that's also nothing to be sneezed at. So yeah, the, okay. these 
these costs are just outstanding, aren't they? When you you know you look at them, they're just incredible, absolutely incredible. Some of these values. Yeah, yeah. And there was a whole bunch of other court cases that didn't come as far as judgments. And I am continuing my policy of ignoring everyone who sues Apple on a whim until they actually end up in front of a judge. So let us move on from legal latest. Apple HR and acquisition news. Only one of these met my bar this month for being talked about. Um, Apple have acquired an AI company whose name I should have had a go at pronouncing before hitting the record button. <laughs> X-N-O... Or dot AI Snorri. Uh, I would go. I would go with Xnor. Xnor dot AI. That's what we'll. That's what we'll go with. Um. So this is a company who kind of made news in two ways this month. So being bought by Apple is definitely a way to make news. Uh, but their technology was being licensed by a company called Wise with a Y. Um, and they make extremely affordable uh, smart cameras. And one of the killer features of the Wise cams was, and I'm using the past tense here, their ability to detect things like pets or people in the footage that they were capturing. And that technology that they were using was licensed from Xnor.ai, as we're choosing to call them probably wrongly. And when Apple bought Xnor, that contract was ended, and hence Wise have had to pull the feature out of their products um but what's interesting about the feature is that most of this kind of stuff happens in the cloud but wise share apple's view on privacy so the reason wise chose xnor is because xnor's technology works on the device even on a device with as little computing oomph as a camera and that's exactly Apple's approach to AI. Do it on device where it can be safely kept, locally encrypted, and where Apple don't have to know and therefore can't leak or be made tell whatever is going on with your cameras, etc. So th- it seems really obvious to me why Apple would want an AI company specializing in AI stuff working on device with limited resources. Yeah. Right up their street, really, isn't it? Right yeah. up their street. And I feel very sorry right. for Wise customers like a certain Alison Sheridan, who, who mm. is a big, big fan of Wise. But hopefully she will soon get Apple cameras that will work with HomeKit and do this cool stuff. Now, there is a new section in the show notes. I hummed and hawed about this. And if you're a Patreon supporter of the show, you know I've been humming and hawing about this because you helped me do the humming and the hawing. Um, I am a tech guy, right? That's my thing. That's what I know about, and more importantly, that's what I care about. And up until now-ish, Apple have been a tech company, and I have been quite happy to cover all of Apple's broad range of portfolio. I know diddly bleep about (laughs) the entertainment industry. I am a user of that industry in small doses. I think my television consumption is less than seven hours a week, so I think I am below average. And I don't give a proverbial anything about celebrities and couldn't recognise half of them in a lineup. So I am the wrong person to give you detailed and insightful news about entertainment. I think I could probably say the same. So uh, this might be a short section, but... Right, so what I've decided to do is I don't think it's appropriate to ignore the fact that Apple are investing vast, vast wedges of cash in this industry. 
So I th- I'm going to treat the entertainment stuff in the same way I treat the legal news. Basically, I'm going to quickly list the stories so that it stays in our peripheral vision and so that we understand how much Apple are doing and in a very broad sense how it's going. But my aim is just to provide background information and to keep us in the loop as opposed to to provide any sort of meaningful analysis. If you're looking for meaningful analysis of Apple's entertainment content, you need to tune into entertainment podcasts. This is not the podcast for that. So with that caveat out of the way, I can safely say that Apple are extremely busy in the original content arena because... This is all of the stories that happened in January 2020 to do with this. So uh, bear with me. This is going to take me a deep breath I don't have. Apple TV Plus Plus wins its first award as Billy Crudup takes home Critics' Choice Honor. The Morning Show star Jennifer Aniston picks up a SAG Award, which is the Screen Actors Guild, for Best Female Actor. See, I do know a little bit. Um, Little America creator Lee Eisenberg signs a multi-year deal with Apple TV+. Plus. That's, I think, a big deal for Apple. Apple has also signed a multi-year deal with Seinfeld actress and producer uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. All I know about her is that I love her work. Um, Apple TV has announced a new docu-series called Dear Dot Dot Dot, which will feature Oprah Winfrey, Stevie Wonder and Big Bird, which is quite the eclectic mix. Uh, Defending Jacob with Chris Evans is going to land on our Apple TVs in April 24th, to be precise. Apple have announced a new Home Before Dark drama, which will be released on April 3rd. Apple has outed an animated musical comedy called Central Park. Uh, There's a new official trailer for Apple's Visible Out on Television series, which frankly actually does look quite interesting. Uh, Oprah has explained why she backed away from the Apple TV Plus sexual assault documentary, which I think has been killed. I think we talked about that last time. Uh, Apple TV Plus's Little America producer Lee Eisenberg says the show will get a podcast. So there's Apple branching into podcast production for its uh, TV stuff. Uh, There's a new teaser for their Beastie Boys live documentary. Um, Boy State is another new documentary they picked up uh, for Sundance, apparently. They've inked an exclusive deal with the former president of programming at Stars with a Z, which I think is an American TV channel. Uh, and Apple have hired Netflix engineer Rosan Messenberg to obviously help keep the plumbing up and running. And Apple TV is going to air a comedy drama called Physical to feature someone called Rose Byrne, who I've never heard of, but that's a good Irish surname. Uh, someone called Cecily Strong, who I've also never heard of, will star in an Apple TV Plus musical comedy from the writers of Despicable Me, which I have heard of. Uh, and Apple TV Plus series Foundation will be Ireland's largest ever production. And living in Ireland, this has definitely made the news. Basically, we're delighted to be uh, making a great big show for Apple. So the big, big boon for Ireland's television industry. Yeah, it's going to be at least 500 people employed, apparently, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we've like Game of Thrones has made partially on this island. Now, a lot of that is yeah. up north, but some of it's down here too. So, and I think a bunch of the Tudors was filmed in Ireland. So, Ireland isn't like complete novice at this stuff. So, for this to be the biggest ever production here is is a big deal. And it, it made our national, like, you know, the, the, the sort of five minute 8 a.m. news kind of news here. Like, it, it was a big deal. Um, I think Apple, before you do that related story, if I may, mm-hmm. um, I think that um, Apple are certainly concentrating on producing um, hopefully what they think is quality uh, homemade production. They don't seem so far to be as interested in going out and buying 
a big um uh what's the name yeah third party uh, content right a back catalog yeah yeah so back so they, they don't seem to be so worried about having a massive back catalog to feel they're just concentrating on on their own original content okay that's good i'm gonna like parrot to see... some apparent wisdom i may or may not have in this area i'm no expert on but it seems to my uneducated eye that the the trend these days is for all the owners of all yeah. those back catalogs that netflix and the like have had they're all pulling it back into their own yes. services. Yes. So I'm yes, not sure Apple have a choice. Definitely. I think Apple are basically well, they no, put their finger they, up. They know what way the wind no, is that's blowing. Right, but they could. They've got enough money, but to go out there and buy one of these uh, these. Um, that is another approach. Yes, just so. buy a whole back catalog. Hello, Fox. Yeah. You're ours now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but so, but they don't seem to be too you know uh, worried about doing that at the moment, which is fine. Yeah. Um, I would like them to see them spreading their wings into other countries as well, not just the UK or Ireland. Uh, you know, there are plenty of other countries out there. Well, Apple um, TV Plus has been extremely worldwide in their rollout. Right, what's lagging behind this? Not Apple worried about the rollout. I'm really thinking about the production of, of shows rather ah. than being quite so American-centric. That's where I was coming from on that. Ah, yes. Yeah, so I, I, I hopefully, cannot object to that. that yeah. yeah, hopefully that will come. I hope so. Well, isn't there a European regulation due to come into effect shortly? Not that that helps you. Um, but we're, <laughs> well, we're up to, what is it, 10% of your catalogue has to be produced in Europe or something like that? I'm convinced we talked about that at some stage. Yeah, yes, there is something along those lines. And certainly in France, they uh, they like to have legislation around uh, uh, homegrown content, don't they? So They most certainly do, yeah. Yeah, so with all of that said, Apple are clearly investing in the future, but it is definitely an investment in the future mm. because numbers would appear to show that in the present... When Apple gave away free Apple TV to everyone who bought pretty much any Apple device since September, it would appear that a whopping 1 in 10 of us have bothered to use it. So 10% of eligible customers have used the Apple TV Plus free trial, according to numbers. I wonder how I wonder how either happy or sad they are about that number. I have no idea what they thought they'd get. Yeah, I mean, if they were expecting mm. 1, this is amazing. And if they were expecting 50, this is horrific. Yeah. 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 Now, speaking I, personally, I didn't actually get round to watching any Apple stuff until about a week ago when I decided it was time to have a look at For All Mankind. And I am well and truly sucked in now. Um, if all of their content is of the quality of For All Mankind, then I will be keeping my Apple TV subscription when I have to pay for it. I am well impressed. I have to say, I'm, I'm, you know, uh, you mentioned the foundation. That's that's the thing I've got my eye on. I'm not sure when that's going to surface because that's going to be a whopping production. Right. If they're um, only starting, if they're only just announced they're going to make it in Ireland, um, I think your waiting is going to take a while. Yes, indeed. Um, but that's a big say, thing to bite off, right? The foundation uh, series. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Huge. I mean, that. I think that's what they're, they're hoping is going to be their Game of Thrones, you know. Um, it has the potential. It really does. It does have the potential for that. Um, I have to say, I've watched very little of Apple TV+. Plus. In fact, the, um, the only series that really uh, engaged me was The Ghostwriter, which uh-huh. is actually a kid's show. Well, I, I'm going to watch Snoopy at some stage, uh, but my darling beloved is not interested whatsoever at all in Snoopy, and he's off for spending some time with friends for a few weeks. So I'm going to be watching all the stuff he doesn't like and Snoopy is top of the list because I'm a great big child. <laughs> <laughs> I watched the morning show uh, front to back. 
Um, enjoyed it. It was okay. I, I thought it was a little bit um, uh, fingers down the back of the throat at times, but you know, I, I, I am a little bit cynical at times, so that's me. Well, it's not exactly a happy topic, is it? No, but it was some of the acting and the way they did it. You know, it's a, I thought it, you know a bit over the top. Saccharin. Um, or... So yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll, we'll see. I, I I did watch it all the way through though, so it, it kept me hooked. That's, I was going to say, know, can't be that bad. Not too much. No, yeah. no. So uh, I, I think yeah. I'm going to give that one a go because well, it won a bunch of awards, and uh, mm. quite a few people I trust have said to me there's a lot of there there. Yeah. Yes, there is. There is. It, as I say, I watched it all the way through, and I am pretty cynical, so I wouldn't have watched it all the way through if it wasn't holding me my attention. So, now I'm going to do something very important at this point. Um, so the last time we talked about Apple TV stuff, I think it was in December, we talked about a story about a Swiss TV company, cable company, I think it was, who were starting to ship Apple TVs as their set-top box. But they hated the Apple remote so much, they asked Apple's permission to develop a proper one. And much to everyone's surprise, Apple said, oh, I guess so. Uh, and they made a proper clicky button, no touch surface, actual fits in human hand, has an up, a down, a left and a right in clear and obvious ways, a proper remote. And then they only made it available to their own customers. And I was very cranky. <laughs> It turns out that this show has some of the best listeners on planet Earth. Sorry, Gaz, but I think my listeners beat yours. And the same goes to you, Simon. So I got a tweet from one of my Swiss listeners, whom I didn't know I had any Swiss listeners. Hello, Bruno. Um, and basically, Bruno said, well, I live in Switzerland. I've been listening. I like what you do. How about I buy you a remote and post it to you? And he did. And it arrived yesterday. And it is as brilliant as I hoped it would be. And what's more, not only is Bruno kind enough to give me the remote I wanted, being in Switzerland, he thought I would appreciate some Swiss chocolate. And you know something? <laughs> the man's a genius, because I did. Bruno, there's a little business proposition I have for you. <laughs> <laughs> Importer of real remotes for Apple TVs to the world. <laughs> it, it's actually I think quite Apple strange. Might have something to say about that, though. It's quite strange because it's a very Apple-like remote. If Apple were to have developed a clicky button remote, it would have been like this. It has all the buttons you need and no more. And it's typography, it's industrial design language. It's all very Apple. But instead of a bloody trackpad, it has, you know, up, down, left, and right keys. And most conveniently, it's also tuned to control Samsung televisions out of the box without having to reprogram it. And we happen to have a Samsung television. So I literally walked downstairs, pointed it at the telly, hit the on button and the Apple TV and the telly came on and jumped to the right, the right EXT channel. And everything just worked. Zero setup. Well, walk downstairs, turn on. I have to say that um, uh, before Christmas, I... I bought a new um, TV. I bought a JVC, mm. uh, you know, flat panel, and it comes with a fairly typical TV remote. Not horrible, but not brilliant either. Yeah. However, um, when you switch to the Apple TV, the uh, the JVC remote will control the Apple TV, which is a massive win because Ooh, yes, nice. it also has clicky up, down, left, right buttons, and. Um, Excellent. And to fast forward, and that means <laughs> trying to fast forward or back through a program on Apple TV is now actually doable. Doable. 
Yeah, good. I'm glad to hear that's working out for you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so with all of that out of the way, let us get stuck into one heck of a bunch of main stories. There are only, they're only four in number, um, and two of them are very much interrelated. But uh, nonetheless, we have quite a bit to digest here, so let us get stuck in. First story, DOJ versus Apple, round two. This story was just beginning to brew in December when we last recorded, because at that stage, the Senate in the US were having hearings where senators were giving Apple, Facebook and Google a hell of a hard time about encryption. And then a few days into the new year, the floodgates opened. The FBI and the uh, Attorney General asked Apple to unlock the iPhones, plural, belonging to the naval base shooter in Pensacola. Basically, it's San Bernardino all over again. Yep. Here we go again. Apple, of course, said, well, actually, no, we we can't just unlock the phones, not because we don't want to, because we cannot just unlock the phones. And we are not going to develop a mechanism for doing so because that would make everyone less safe. Um, needless to say, the Attorney General of the United States is not impressed. Uh, his boss, I believe, it's very hard to pull coherent sentences out of his ranting sometimes, but I believe he is distinctly not impressed. Uh, he believes Apple should step up to the plate and that Apple have the keys to the criminal mind. Uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, um, Apple are preparing in are privately preparing for a big court case with the DOJ over iPhone encryption. Um, but just as it looked like maybe they were going to get some traction with all of this, um, we learned some more facts about the case. We now know that the shooter had two iPhones, an iPhone 5 and an iPhone 7 both of which the DOJ can crack without any help from anyone because uh, literally we have seen the receipts for the devices DOJ bought which can crack those devices. So uh, this is a smokescreen. This is not actually about this case. This is, oh, will somebody think of the children again? Um, There are also some extra facts we need to bring into this because an awful lot of this is people assuming that Apple are choosing, that like Apple have this magic key and they're choosing not to open the phone. To be clear, since the last time this happened, things have moved on. So the way an iPhone encryption now works is that there is a device, a hardware device on all of your iPhones called a secure enclave. And that device at a hardware level can receive information, which it can encrypt using a private key that is burnt into itself, and it can emit the encrypted information. It can also verify that a given password is correct, but it can in no way output the actual underlying password because there's no actual hardware mechanism for those signals to leave that chip. It is a hardware one-way valve. So it is not actually possible no matter what Apple do, to provide a backdoor that will get around this encryption. This device involves a whole bunch of mathematics. There is no way to short-circuit that mathematics. So it always takes 80 milliseconds to do an operation through the secure enclave. So no matter what else happens, it will always take 80 milliseconds per password guess. 
And to the uneducated ear, that doesn't sound like very much. But if you use an alphanumeric passcode and you know how many combinations are possible with, say, an eight-character passcode, then you will realise that what you are talking about is thousands or tens of thousands of years. And if you go up to 12 characters in your password in a mix of uppercase and lowercase and throw in a symbol or two, then you're talking about half the age of the universe sort of territory here. And that is mathematically hardware implemented. So that is not a case of Apple saying we don't want to. That is, that is up to that point it is this is impossible. Now we come to the point where Apple are saying this is a terrible idea. So 80 milliseconds is a lot shorter than the 20-minute timeout your iPhone imposes upon you when you have guessed wrong three times. The iPhone can be programmed to wipe itself after 10 failed tries, and that is also done in software in the OS. So it is conceivably possible for Apple to make a bastardized version of iOS, which they then digitally sign so that it appears to be a valid software update, and that that hacked version of iOS could be installed on a phone, and that a hacked version of iOS would remove all software-based time constraints and remove the software-based auto-wipe. But a strong passcode is still going to stand up for half the age of the universe, no matter what Apple do. So that is the actual computer science of where we stand right now, and I don't think that's been clearly communicated in an awful lot of places discussing this topic. So I'm going to climb down from my soapbox now and let you guys back in. Uh, and the first question I have is, did that make any sense? Uh, yep, yep, that's all fair. I mean, um, I believe they used grey key, didn't they, to break mm-hmm. into the... Um, well, actually, no, sorry. There's a new story that uh, the FBI have used grey key to get into an iPhone 12. Oh, sorry, an iPhone 11, actually. Um, 11, yeah. But we know for a fact that the grey key devices and a bunch of other devices work on the older iPhones. In fact, San Bernardino was an iPhone 5 and they got into that with Celebrite's help. Yeah, they, they did. Indeed, they did. You know, so, so yeah. So, Bart, I totally agree with you. It, I think everything you said makes perfect sense. I think we all know that this is a, definitely a smokescreen because there is a, an ulterior motive for why they're asking for this. Mm. When they get high high profile cases such as this, which is in the front and minds of uh, everybody um, in the country where it's happening and mm-hmm. wider afield as well. Um, they are using that case, just as you say, to as a bit of a smokescreen to try and put uh, pressure on not only Apple, but there'll be other companies as well, uh, but uh, predominantly Apple, um, to obviously put a, air quotes, back door in, um, because they definitely want a much easier process to be able to get into people's information than uh, they currently have. And everything you said is right, and it's not easy People who say let's have a back door um, are deluding themselves. Um, if they, don't I would love a unicorn, that... Gaz. How's that coming on? Sorry, the unicorn. Yeah, it's I, I. It's nearly there. I'm just waiting for the horn. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So, and I think it is definitely a smokescreen. The FBI know full well that you can't have a back door. They know full well you can't do it. So, they are looking for easy access to be able to get this data. Now, I'm just going to be a bit possibly dodgy here go on what are what are they going to do if they've got that are they are they going to be because they still can't stop people from doing bad things in the uk earlier this week 
we've had a so-called terrorist who was let out of prison early. There are all sorts of reasons behind that, and I won't go into that because he may have been let out on time. You know, he may have been let out after a full sentence. Let's put that to one side. The police were really suspicious of this guy, absolutely, totally suspicious. So guess what they did? They pretty much followed him, but they still could not stop him from doing something bad, but they were there quick, so they stopped him from doing something really, really bad. However, they couldn't do anything until he did something. Are we going to be in predictive mode if we've got access to this sort of data? I'm totally behind Apple here. I do not support anybody doing anything wrong or bad, but we have got to be so careful we don't go down such a police state and find ourselves in a world that we really don't like. So just to get back to the practicalities, right? So with the current secure enclave... There is no way to put in a back door. So the only legislative option would be to outlaw access to actually secure encryption for us regular peeps. Now, the mathematics of encryption is so easy you could write it on a post-it note. The bad guys will implement their own encryption if legal encryption yep. is outlawed because you can write it on the back of a post-it note. I could write it in a couple of lines of JavaScript code. It is easy and it is known that genie cannot go back into any bottles so the question then becomes do we decide to outlaw all security for all law-abiding citizens knowing it will not prevent crime it will not prevent terrorism all it will do is make all of us more susceptible to cybercrime so it will make all of us less secure for little if any actual gain and also once this is outlawed It is not only the American government who are going to get Mm. to use this. It is every authoritarian tin pot dictator anywhere on planet Earth where Apple sells phones. Yep. Because Apple have to obey the laws of the countries they operate in, as we've said many times. So it is an excruciatingly dangerous road to wander down. Uh, Another point I definitely want to hammer home here is that... uh, so the FBI basically, uh, sorry, the, the the Attorney General basically said, I mean, Apple didn't help us at all. And Apple were very quick to, to reply back and say, actually, no, yes, you sent us did. many requests for information. We replied to you very promptly and we gave you literally gigabytes of the information we did have that we could give you. And Apple will always have some information. But, right, so having your phone be protected is important because your phone is the thing that's out in the physical world and that is under real threat. But there is a whole bunch of other information that you interact with Apple that is on Apple servers that Apple can and do provide to law enforcement all the time. It's really simple stuff like, where did you try to log in from? That's going to be in all the logs. It's also stuff like um, email, which is an inherently insecure protocol and there's nothing anyone can do about it because that's literally how email works because it was invented in the 70s. Uh, And then there's... The next topic, which is backups. So I'm going to mention the fact that they exist, and I'm not quite going to derail us on that train just yet. (laughs) So Apple very promptly delivered everything they could. So basically, Apple are doing what is entirely appropriate, which is they are helping law enforcement in all the ways they can, but doing so without putting all of us at risk from cybercrime. That is the balance you have to strike. You help law enforcement where you can, and you protect your users from criminals where you can. You know, so I say, to me, this is an open and shut simple case, but that's, of course, not how it's presented. But. 
<laughs> I think, uh, you know, for most of us in the tech world, this is an open and shut case. However, we're not politicians with possibly, you know, authoritarian mm. bent. It is interesting to note that um, the former director of something called the National Security Agency or the NSA in the place called the United States of America agrees with me, not with the Attorney General. He wrote an op-ed for Bloomberg where he says encryption backdoors won't stop crime but will hurt US tech. The Wall Street Journal, hardly a bunch of lefty loonies, also back Apple in the encryption battle. Uh, and indeed, there are many in the FBI who are deeply uncomfortable with the assault on encryption. So this, it's not only us in the tech world who see this for what it is. The actual security professionals also see it that way, which is important to note. Important to note, of course, because they also, um, you know, being perhaps in somewhat uh, you know, in positions where sometimes they may indulge in, let's say, less than savoury practices. Yes, um, that is their job. Like, yeah. <laughs> yes, and you know, hopefully for the right reasons. Um, but that also means they are quite aware of exactly how damaging it would be if it was, you know, not too difficult for those of malicious intent to go around breaking into people's, you know, data. Right. Because all of a sudden, the NSA's ability to be the NSA would be utterly compromised because their agents wouldn't be able to protect themselves. Well, on top of which, the NSA would just be another bunch of guys amongst every other bunch of guys going around hacking data. Right, but it's, it's even just... right. But looking at it from their point of view, they know what keeps them safe and they know it's encryption. Yeah. Right, so they're oh, yes. in a really good position to know what the risks are because the people who are attacking the NSA are not law-abiding citizens who will abide by a ban on secure encryption for everyone who's not a criminal. Well, you know what they say, if you want to build a good safe, ask a safe cracker. Indeed. <laughs> so unless anyone else wants to chime in on that bit, it's time for the second shoe to drop on this story. So... There was a news report from Reuters, and the original reporting from Reuters used a very important three-letter word which most subsequent reporting left out. The word M-A-Y. May. So the actual original reporting does not say this is what happened. It says this is what could have happened. But that subtlety has been massively lost as the internet exploded. So what am I talking about? Okay, so Reuters reported that they have sources within the FBI and Apple who think that Apple killed a plan for end-to-end -end iCloud encryption at the FBI's request. They have three sources within Apple and they have three sources, I believe it was, within the FBI. But none of these sources were actually directly involved. So if you actually read the quotes from the sources, it's things like, oh, I mean, legal nicks it, presumably for the obvious reason. <laughs> But it's actually nowhere near that obvious when you stop and think about it. So again, what's missing in this the coverage of this story is the hard facts and a little bit of common sense. So I'm going to do my best to start with the facts here. So step one, what is end-to-end -end encryption when it comes to backups? Like end-to-end -end encryption on chat is easy to understand. I am talking to you. The two ends are me and you. If the only people who have the keys to decrypt that conversation are me and you, then it is end-to-end -end encrypted. We pass through a whole bunch of servers in between, but those servers see encrypted garbage and they have no way to decrypt it. That is the definition of end-to-end -end encryption in communications. 
What is end-to-end encryption on a backup? Well, what it means is that the person making and restoring the backup is the two ends. In other words, it's a loop. It's end-to-end encryption from you to you. You are both ends. So what it means is if the only person who can decrypt the backup is the person who made the backup, then it is an end-to-end encrypted backup. That is extremely secure. So the idea would be you would encrypt the backup as it leaves your phone. It will be stored on Apple servers in encrypted format. Apple would not have the key. And the only way to get it back is for you to reproduce the key. Now, the danger here is that if you in any way lose access to your key, your backup has become literally a bunch of pseudo-random noise that no one can recover. Not even Apple. They are safely storing the pseudo-random garbage. So, an end-to-end encrypted backup fails secure. Now, if you are a very important person, being in the business world, who has trade secrets that need to be kept safe or who is vulnerable to some sort of attack by competitors, or if you are a diplomat, or if you're a campaigner in a country campaigning for something the government doesn't like, or if you're a spy, or if you're some sort of government agent or whatever, that is probably a good thing to have a a fail-secure backup. But for you, me, and everyone else, we actually don't want our backups to be so fragile. We want our backups to be there for us when we mess up. So what we want is a fail-safe backup. In other words, we want a neighbour to have the keys for when we lose ours. And that is how Apple have implemented encryption in iCloud at the moment. So there are two people who hold the keys to decrypt your iCloud backup. You and Apple. And Apple will produce the key when you produce your passport. And basically, they have a whole procedure for proving who you are. And apparently, it takes quite a few days. It's not straightforward. You can't just ring them up and they go, ta-da, here's your data. They really do make you prove that you are you. But of course, the other way to get at that same data is to produce a legal subpoena from the country in which Apple resides, i.e. the United States of America. So how were Apple able to hand over multiple gigabytes of data to the FBI when asked in a prompt manner? They used their key to the shooter's iCloud backup, decrypted the shooter's iCloud backup, and handed the information to the FBI. So why do they need access to the phone at all? They don't. No, not really. What? Well, but I mean, on the whole, what most people's phones back up basically pretty much every time you plug them in to charge. So that's usually at least once a day. It is indeed um, at least once a day. And that is all of your contacts. It is all of your SMS messages. It is a whole bunch of metadata. It is all of your photos. It's basically everything that you think is important. Now, there is a caveat here, right? So Apple have not universally implemented end-to-end encryption, but they have selectively implemented end-to-end encryption. So the reason Apple made a big deal on stage in front of everyone about end-to-end encryption of health data is because that is the exception, not the norm. Your Apple Health stuff is end-to-end encrypted. If you forget your iCloud password, you lose your Apple Health data. The same is true of your iCloud keychain. If you forget your iCloud password, what is stored in your iCloud keychain is gone. So that backup that Apple were able to hand over to the FBI contained everything apart from the small subset of things that are end-to-end encrypted. So that is the current state of play. 
And you might wonder, well, why is Apple doing it this way? Well, Apple briefly experimented with true end-to-end encryption on iCloud. It was an option when they had something called two-step verification, which was a previous product to what we now have, which is two-factor authentication. And when you were setting up your Mac, you had the option to enable no one to have the key but you. And I used to do this, and it would put up a massive big warning screen telling you in no uncertain Mm. detail that your backup was utterly inaccessible if you lost the key, and please print this key out immediately and store it in the safety deposit box. And despite the gigantic full-screen in-your-face warning, Apple's support was plagued with people they couldn't help. People desperate because they had lost the only photos of their honeymoon, or the only photos of their kid who just tragically got cancer. And The sob stories were horrific. The support agents were horrified at being unable to help. And Apple decided going forward that this was a bad idea. So Apple had stopped working on end-to-end iCloud encryption because it was not workable. So this whole, well, the FBI asked them to, doesn't hold any water for me. The other thing is I cannot conceive of a forum by which Apple would go to, the way the story is written, Apple are supposedly to have proactively gone to the FBI and asked for permission to implement implement end-to-end encryption. I do not find that conceivable. (laughs) That's not a... No, I mean when we discussed it. I mean, obviously, we discussed this on the Essential Apple the other the other day, and um, and we all just fell about laughing because it's like, as I said, I don't believe Apple are in the least bit, uh, you know, afraid of the FBI. If they wanted to end to end encrypt everything, they'd just do it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and know, so our no, sorry, carry our on. consensus, yeah, our consensus opinion was exactly what you've just described. You know, Apple have a lot more people turning up saying, I've locked myself out of my account and I can't get the pictures of my, you know, dead brother or, you know, small child or whatever else it is. Then they have FBI men banging on the door saying we want to get at such and such person's uh, data. So um, I'm pretty sure they worked on the principle that, uh, you know, uh, convenience versus security. most people are not to be trusted with encrypting all their own stuff because they're too stupid and will lock themselves out. So perhaps we should keep a key so we can let them back in again. Yeah. Yeah. So I it... think I think your old adage here, Bart, of follow the money is what you've got to do here because I'm trying to rack my brain as to why Reuters would write this. Well, see, to me, right, it, it boils down to basically the sources they have are not the people who are in the room. They're people who are talking mm-hmm. to people. Yep. So it is very easy to understand that someone in the FBI would know that the FBI is really against encryption and they would have heard that there was some sort of meeting with Apple and then that this went away. And post hoc ergo proctor hoc is an easy assumption to make. So from the FBI's point of view, I can well believe there are people in the FBI who think that they said something disparaging about end-to-end encryption and then it went away and they would have gone, ha-ha, it was us, we're brilliant. And I can also conceive of an Apple engineer who was working on the project and then it was told to stop. It was mm. like, why on earth was I told to stop? This is great. Two and two together. And they put two and two and got five. I, I mean, I, I don't think the sources are lying. I think the sources are misinformed. And so you can have honest reporting. Mis- misremembering. Or just the, 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 not even misremembering, misinterpreting. Yeah, just mis- yeah misinterpreting. But yeah, yeah, it's a better... So I don't think there's any malice here. I don't think Reuters have gotten anything wrong. I don't think Reuters have misquoted anyone. I don't think the people they quoted are attempting to be untruthful. I just don't believe their interpretation of the facts is accurate. 
Well, as you pointed out at the top of the story, though, Reuters used the word may. It was the yes. subsequent re-reporting which turned it into the Deep. FBI told Apple no and Apple acquiesced. Um, yeah, which is not what Reuters said. And um, I mean, you know, the Reuters story is simply a kind of speculative. Maybe the FBI said something to Apple and Apple thought better of it. Actually, we all think, you know, convenience versus ultimate security. Um, yeah. And just a lot more, a lot less grief for Apple, to be honest, all round. And on top of which, nobody's saying Apple don't want to help the FBI. If somebody no. does something terrible, they can go, OK, we can unlock this guy's backup and we can give you pretty much all of the information. And the few things you won't be able to find out is what his heart rate was, you know, the day before and what his passwords are. Hard luck. You'll have to crack those the hard way. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, there, there we, there we stand. Um, so basically it is my interpretation that, okay. So I think there is an argument to be made that for the 5% of people who need end to end encryption, it would be nice if Apple op- offered it as an option. But given the fact that they tried that and they put up the giantest, biggest Auga warnings you could ever shake a stick at and it wasn't good enough, I'm not sure how practical that is. And there is a way for people who wish to do so to make a completely secure end-to-end encrypted backup right now, today, without any sort of third-party yeah. software. And that is to back your phone up using either the Finder if you're on Catalina or iTunes if you're on pre-Catalina versions of macOS and using a password. When you use a password for an iTunes backup, that is encrypted with that password. The key goes nowhere else. If you forget that password, your backup is useless. That is end-to-end backup encryption. Let's face it. If you are the sort of person who, for whatever reason feels that your data should not be stored somewhere when anybody, even, you know, at the, you know, the request of the law should be able to get at it. You shouldn't be putting your stuff in iCloud anyway. Mm-hmm. If you are, you know, if you are the, if you are MI6's top spy, you ought to know better than to be putting your stuff in iCloud. Let's well, you should honest. be using secure government servers, I should bloody well hope. Otherwise, you'll end exactly. up like a certain former presidential candidate in, in the spot of bother. Precisely. So, you know, no, I, it's, it, I just think it's um, it's Apple trying to do the best for the largest percentage of their customers. Yes, and that is your backup should be safe. Your backup should help you out when things go wrong. Your backup shouldn't be destroyed by things going wrong. That's not a backup. That's false security. Yes, it is. Okay, Apple's 2020 Q1 earnings call. Now, normally... Apple's press statement for their earnings call provide links to two PDFs, one with a nice table I like to read and one with a whole bunch of garbage that makes no sense. But the 2020 Q1 press release contains a link to one PDF instead of two, and it's the one that makes no sense to me. So um, I'm going to skip over the bit where I usually have fun reading across the table, and instead I'm going to jump straight to the wonderful contribution sent to me via email by Linda Goucher, um, who is a regular guest here and from the Silicon Valley Mac Users Group. Linda said, I can't make the show, but if you'd like me to give my take on the earnings call, I'll be happy to. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. Yes, please, yes, please, yes, please. So here we have Linda's take on the earnings call. Quarter was fantastic. 
The only two minor quibbles were that the services revenues weren't higher in terms of percentage growth, and the growth in Japan was down due to some regulatory changes. Forecast was good. Stocks have been performing exceptionally well up until the coronavirus hit. More on that later. That's me speaking there. Uh, coronavirus could be a really big deal, maybe more for governments, both US and China responses than the virus itself. Um, Liam, my thoughts from listening to doctors and economists, comment on Bloomberg. Uh, James Rappel include people not going out to stores due to not going out and more serious and in some ways supply chain issues. Apple does almost have does almost always have suppliers in more than one location in order to be damaged, not to be damaged too badly basically like this. But given that so much assembly does happen in China, hard to tell. Longer term, say two years, this won't be a big deal, but interim, it will be. Apple itself, along with some large long term sorry, along with some long term institutional investors, are likely to take this as an opportunity to buy stock. Um also, Linus says a friend of hers is putting together a spreadsheet showing the number of shares outstanding over the years uh, since Apple's stock buyback program began, and it looks like about a third of the shares outstanding have been repurchased. Uh, so this, of course, impl- impacts earnings per share. Less share, less amount of shares, same amount of earnings, means better earnings per share. And that's the kind of thing investors like, so that's a good thing, basically. And finally, on the conference call itself, there were lots of new analysts and some old familiar ones missing. Um, most uh, amusing of the articles was one by Jason Snell, linked in show notes, and Linda agrees with Jason Snell. So that is Linda's summing up. Um, I'm just going to read a few headlines before we get stuck in. So uh, Apple reports record Q1 revenues, $98.1 billion, earnings per share of $4.99. Apple reports blowout Q1 2020, but names coronavirus' worry for second quarter. Apple Q1 2020, record-setting first quarter. We have the transcript, as usual, linked in the show notes. Apple wearables revenue overtakes Mac for the first time ever. And Tim said, iPhone 11 was the best seller each and every week of the holiday quarter. And if you want a short summary, Jason Snell does his superb charts over on Six Colors, linked in show notes. Uh, Mac Stories also has a rather accessible set of um, charts, which help make, you know, not maybe as extensive as Jason Snell's, but quite easy to interpret for those of you who would uh, like perhaps a little in-depth, but still accessible visual aid. Yeah, and actually I was complaining about losing the normal Excel sheet from Apple, but I shouldn't have bothered. I should just have gone straight to Jason Snell's pictures, shouldn't I? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because really the eye-catching one is Apple's quarterly revenue by category. So uh, iPhone, 61%. Mac, 8 Wearables, 11 Services, 14 The only thing smaller than the Mac these days is the iPad at 7, which really isn't all that far off. So services, which used to be a great big pile of nothing, has now outstripped the Mac. And indeed, wearables which didn't exist until a few years ago, has also outstripped the Mac. So between the iPhone services and wearables, that gets you well over three quarters of Apple's pie, which is quite forward thinking, I guess. Anything else stand out at people from Jason Snell's Pretty Graphs? Um, no, not really. I mean, um, the only thing was iPad is still growing. iPad might be 6%. Five to six percent, but it's still growing. Not by much, I yes. believe. I think it's 
growing a fraction on it, about one percent growth, I think, if I recall. But actually, just to put a bit more under that point, right? So there's a, there's a related story linked in the show notes, but the actual tablet market is shrinking, and despite the fact that the tablet market is shrinking, the iPad market is growing. So even if it's Indeed. only a few percent, or one percent, in fact. To, to beat a shrinking market and continue to grow is, is actually more impressive than it looks at first glance. Indeed. So actually, you know, um, very, I very good. The, what strikes me a little bit is, and I, I don't think there's any surprise on this, I think actually if you took the long-term view of the, I, of the iPad, it's probably on a very slightly downward turn, but I don't think that's anything to uh, be too surprised about. I mean, iPad have pretty much, um, it's been pretty much up there for tablets for a long, long time, so to hold its position for that length of time and still be a, what is it, almost a six billion product line is not unimpressive but yeah. i think there's definitely a bigger downward turn for max overall uh if you took that over a longer term but again is that a surprise in terms of uh pc sales overall as well over that same period which i don't know what that is but um well, certainly the probably... long-term trend isn't a surprise even if this one no, particular quarter no. doesn't compare too well the long-term trend is we're buying fewer and fewer traditional computers yeah. and more and more portable yeah. devices yeah. So for Apple to keep uh, their iPad sales, you know, fairly consistent um, over the longer term, I, I think is is quite impressive. Uh, and I'm sure I think there's a much bigger cycle with iPads as well. So uh, I yeah. think that's a problem. Well, but, uh, I was talking about that the other day. And I mean, <clears throat> the first iPad I bought, which was the iPad 2, hmm. I think it was seven years I had that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm the same. I tend to be a long, long time iPader. I tend to keep them for a long time it, it's because funny, they're great we, devices. So they, they yeah, we were having this. We were having this com- conversation earlier today because uh, we were talking about electronics in general, and and there's there's a definite flow of electronics when it comes to sales, and I won't go into that now. But the one thing that Apple has with either the iPhone, the Mac, and the iPad and wearables is they are looking at obviously getting you into the ecosphere because that's where the services then kicks in. Uh, and the size of the services is is certainly, you know, something which um, they're going to be relying on to take over where some of the others are, are perhaps losing out. But as long as they've got devices which bring you into the ecosphere uh, and keep you, you know, as the whole in as a whole in their environment, I don't think they're going to be too concerned about it overall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think all in all, it's been pretty good. It's all, it's all part of a you know um, a mature market, isn't it? I yeah. mean, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, the iPad is a mature product. The Mac is a very mature product. What the? At, uh, sorry, it's my boy. He's asleep next to me. And he, I think he's either dreaming or he suddenly woke up. Ah, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, that. one one thing I did hear about the the earnings call was that um, uh, Apple is now bigger than the DAX, which I think is the uh, oh, the yeah. um, the German equivalent to the FTSE 100 over here. Yep. Yeah, actually, that so, was that's linked in the show notes as well. That's kind of impressive, you know, to, to beat a whole country. Yes. Well, they don't beat the whole country. I think they beat the top 100. Ah, um, sorry. Yeah. yeah, so it's not the whole of Germany, um, which I think was uh, a mistake someone else, I think, I heard uh, talk about. It's it's just the top 100 companies. Just? 
It's still just yes. <laughs> and whether the the Dax is one hundred or not, uh, I'm not sure. But it's 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 of a similar line to what we deem to be the FTSE one hundred. I, I, I was going to say it's like the FTSE or the Dow Jones. Only yeah, the, the Dow yeah. the Dow is the Dow is a special case. Yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that uh, ninety billion a quarter, you know, <laughs> uh, is probably larger than quite a lot of small countries. Um, you know, GDP for a quarter. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um I don't think there's much more for us really to say. Um Well, other than they're doomed. <laughs> I'm sure they are. I'm sure someone somewhere has come to that conclusion. That is I think inevitable. they're doomed doomed to, to the what they're doomed, they're gonna drown in all that cash. <laughs> yes, I I'm yeah, absolutely. There's definitely some sort of somewhere it, it's all wrong, terrible, broken, etc. Definitely. Must be. <laughs> Oh dear. Yes. Anyway, um, our final maiden story is sort of a bit of a, a conglomeration of things. Trade wars and viruses, I've decided to call it. So, very mixed bag of international problems for Apple. So, on the one hand, we have the trade war of the US versus Europe that was threatening to heat up, but seems a little bit off the boil for now. Um President Trump used Davos to have a little chat to his French counterpart and uh, France has decided that they're not going to go ahead with their taxes on American tech giants just yet. They're going to wait for the OECD to come out with their big report on how to tax multinationals before they act. And uh, the UK, however, we're not quite singing off the same hymn book. They are going to go ahead with their digital sales tax regardless of US protests, according to Chancellor Sajid Sajid. Javid. Uh, US-China trade war has thankfully, for now, wrapped itself up. The deal that we thought was going to happen in December happened. Um, but having said that, Apple suppliers don't seem to be taking anything for granted. And there's quite a few stories of uh, their suppliers broadening their horizons a bit. Uh, we have... Uh, report Pegatron as latest Apple partner to look beyond China. Apple partner Withstron has opened its third factory in China, followed by reports that Withstron is going to be assembling more key iPhone components at its Indian facilities. So that's two big suppliers expanding out beyond China. And all of that is probably a good thing, given the final story in this section, the Chinese outbreak of the new coronavirus. So out of an abundance of caution... Apple have closed its entire Chinese operations. And yet, at the same time, Apple suppliers are set to resume full-scale production on February 10th, after the extended New Year holiday ends. Lots and lots of people basically trying to figure out how bad this could be, but ultimately it kind of depends on how the actual virus does its thing. So to a very large extent, I think we can say that this could be terrible or it could be fine. I'm not sure how much more I can add. Gents, do you... Yeah, it's basically, obviously, coronavirus, terrible for all of those affected. Uh, From a company's perspective, I think we will find lack of product and shortage of product if it does elongate Mm. um, over the longer period. I think there's going to be some some very short-term pain which people will see quickly, but then, um, you know, the long-term supply chain is going to be very much hit. Uh, so I think there is going to be some 
um, demand for product, which not just Apple, but many, many, many companies will not be able to supply. Um, now, one thing that um, I, I, I urge people, you know, you'll still have that demand when they actually get it back on song. So let's not, um, you know, the world isn't going to end. Um, I think we've got to concentrate on getting the virus sorted uh, rather than worrying about whether supply chain is, uh, you know, uh, unduly affected for three or four months. Yeah. And just for some context, like the science is very much not in on this virus, right? So right now it seems to be in terms of how it, it's way less contagious than measles. Um, mm. It seems to be no more deadly than the flu and probably similarly transmissible to the flu. And, you know, humankind has been dealing with flu outbreaks for as long as humankind have been about. So while this is obviously getting an awful lot of news headlines, because right now we don't really know and the science is still solidifying, for now, there's absolutely positively no reason to lose your ever-loving mind. Be it physically yeah, read, or health. Um, I, I read um, a piece by an epidemiologist um, the other day, and he was saying, uh, based on the relatively long uh, incubation period... And well, that's also an assumption, right? At the moment, the official yeah. incubation period is between 2 and 14 days, which is a very, very, very fuzzy... It's, it's very fuzzy, I know. None of it's... But he's saying, OK, let's... If, if we project out to 14 days, that right. is way longer than SARS. Yes. And more importantly, it would appear that people are infectious before they are symptomatic. Yes. Uh, which means people could go around infecting people uh, unknowingly. Whereas with SARS... Um, people are mostly not infectious until they become symptomatic. Um, yeah. As he said, it, however, it's much less it's much less deadly. So, it, you know, it, at the moment, it's probably not really any worse than the flu. Uh, although, obviously, you know, only time only yeah, time can. We'd rather not, decide. but okay. Yeah, but. Um, yeah. Longer term, as he said, we may not even be able to contain this. It may become, in fact, uh, you know, just one of those diseases around the world that, you know, like norovirus and the flu and the common cold that we all have to live with. Yeah. yeah. In the longer term. Yeah, it's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but again, basically, as he said, you know, I'm he is as an epidemiologist is saying this might be a case in a. a Science, as you say, is still not in, but this is this is not a global, you know, pandemic of world shattering. Oh, my God, it's going to collapse civilization proportions. Precisely. We are not looking at, you know, the Black Death here. Precisely. OK, um, any other thoughts? Let's... Uh, no, I, I think it's just, um, you know, watch out for some shortages. Don't be surprised. Don't lose your mind over it, as you said. And, you know, obviously keep watching the science because as yeah, facts absolutely. become available, we can revise our opinions, but we shouldn't go jumping to the worst conclusions in the absence of evidence. No, exactly. Right. So... Some quick stories to round out the show. Uh, Apple have launched a smart battery case replacement program for the iPhone XS, XS Max and XOR. <laughs> so if you have one of these and they are not doing their battery thing, you can get a shiny new one. Yeah. I'd, I'd said that this, you had one job. One <laughs> job. <laughs> yes, charge things. <laughs> 
But anyway, free, you know, free new one. So fair enough. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, Microsoft have released their Chrome browser, sorry, their Edge browser for macOS. And I have to say, it is a very pleasing browser to use. It is feature-rich, yet efficient. I'll be honest, I don't think I'm going to switch away from Safari, but it's really nice to have an option that doesn't phone home to Google that is not Safari. So I'm I'm (laughs) happy to see that. Uh, Apple Watch Connected Gym Partnership aims to turn activity into rewards. This is a new thing that seems to be US-focused for now, where gyms can sign up for this new program and people who exercise using their watch and the connected gym equipment get rewards. I guess it might turn out to be a big deal in the fitness community, but for now it seems to be very US-centric. So I think it's one to watch rather than one to jump up and down about just yet. Mm, And I think Apple have probably got um, an awful lot of... um, uh evidence about how rewards um spur people on to be able to uh, encourage manufacturers of equipment to come on board uh, mm. with the rewards that they give uh, on a regular basis uh, within the app yeah yeah run for nectar points <laughs> yeah why not so yeah we, we shall see how that evolves um Apple are providing free replacement AirPod Pro tips under AppleCare Plus, apparently. Um, A whole bunch of people have been reporting that they have succeeded in getting Apple to give them free tips for their AirPods Pro, assuming they have AppleCare Plus. I don't think there's an official policy, but it does seem to be happening in actuality, so we shall see how that pans out. An interesting note from CES... um, both Fitbit and Withings would appear to have gotten one over on Apple, uh, both having announcements related to blood oxygen tracking, or SpO2, uh, ahead of Apple. Uh, one of the advantages of SpO2 tracking is it can it can be an indicator that you may have sleep apnea, because while there's lots of things that could cause your blood oxygen to drop overnight, if you have sleep apnea your blood oxygen will drop overnight by definition because you're not breathing. That's what sleep apnea means. Uh, So that's a very interesting thing. Uh, So in the case of Fitbit, they really jumped ahead of Apple. They pushed out a software update to their devices and all of a sudden devices that no one knew could were reporting blood oxygen levels, which is darn cool to get that from a software update. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Withings are not as on the ball as that. Uh, Withings have announced a new watch called the Scan Watch. Um, which is due out in the autumn or the fall, depending on which side of the Atlantic you're speaking. Um, But it will have an SpO2 meter, so that is part of their announced feature set. So Apple have said nothing. Now, the Apple Watch that comes out before the fall could also have an SpO2. Uh, To me, it seems likely they will, if both Fitbit and Withings can do it. I don't see why Apple can't. But nonetheless, Apple did not get to go first on this. They're, they are going to be, and Apple also, as opposed to, and Apple led the way, which is interesting. But very often, Apple are in that position, aren't they? Uh, and they're also RANs, but they're also RANs that do it absolutely well, to the, yes, yes. Yeah, so, so I don't think this is a problem. It's just interesting no, no. that they weren't first. It is, yeah. But it it shows you probably how much pressure both Fitbit and Withings have on them to come out with uh, extra benefits over other products. That is another way to look at it, yeah. And then the last story I have here is one to put a pin in uh, because this is going to develop. So the European Parliament have voted overwhelmingly in favour of moving forward with regulations to standardise smartphone chargers. Now, the Europe is complicated, um, as you guys know well. 
Um, so the European Parliament don't actually get to write the stuff. They just get to vote on it. So what they have done is they have passed a motion telling the Commission to go off and write some legislation that the Parliament can then vote on. So basically, the Parliament have said, European Commission, we need you to write this up before July, please, and then come back to us. So the reason I'm saying put a pin in it is because really we don't quite know how this is going to pan out until July when the Commission come back with their proposed legislation. Meanwhile, Apple are like, this is a terrible idea. This is going to... So the the theory is that this is a way of saving on e-waste and Apple are like, no, it's going to make more e-waste and it's going to stifle innovation. And my personal take is that actually Apple actually have a point because USB-C only came into being because Apple made lightning because the USB consortium were making really crappy connectors. Mm, so, but Apple, Apple have got iPads with um, USB-C, haven't they? They sh- sure they do, yes. I mean, an Apple could now change to USB C, but USB C wouldn't exist I, if this law had been in place. No, I totally that get that. I totally order- get that. I totally get that, and I I totally agree with with that position as well. That the fact that if everybody's going to be in just under one environment, how does that environment get improved and bettered in the future? Totally get that. I did hear a slightly different argument about the fact that um, maybe Apple are also quite upset about this. Or not upset, but they're they're trying to push back because they may not be ready to go to USB-C yet on the next iPhone. And it all depends how quickly this legislation comes in and uh, affects new sales of of smartphones, of course. Well, Mm. I would say, based on the EU, it's going to take them till July to write a draft and then they're going to have to haggle and I can't see anything firm being in place before what 2022 2023 and if that is the case then and if apple are planning to put usb-c on their iphones that's probably going to be within that timeline and they can't so and it's not going to affect existing devices um so and hmm. I mean, to be just, fair to Apple, it's not as if they have changed connectors often, right? We had the 32-pin no. connector and the Lightning connector, and that's covered the entire iPhone. Yeah. yeah. And the 32-bit, uh, 32-connector uh, was, was out before the iPhone, of course, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the iPod yeah. connector, so it covered yeah. the iPod and the iPhone. Yeah, yeah. so it's an even you know, longer I mean, period I that that was around. I think the 32-pin connector was in use for 10 years before it was replaced. Yeah. And just think of the amount of waste that will be created if, if everyone is forced to get rid of their lightning connectors to try to save on waste. Yeah. Well, if you, want to, if you want to save on waste, then none of the devices should have it because you can just buy one. You don't right. have to have one of these coming with every single phone. And of course, the other answer is touch, touch-based charging, your Qi-based charging all around, and then the connector becomes a moot point. You have to also bear in mind that this is... Um, this legislation is being stacked on top of uh, like a 10-year-old legislation which mandated that pe- there should be a common charging standard, which, again, this is, this is still about a common charging standard. But the last one, people said, oh, that will force the I- introduction of everybody using um, micro-USB. Yeah, but now, the last one was start, non-binding. True, but what it did... What it did bring into force, which has been a massive benefit for all of us, if we think back, was it made everybody standard on USB charging blocks. So that is cool. Know, yeah, I can take a, I can take a Samsung charging block with USB and stick in my Lightning cable and charge my iPhone or my you know. Um, That's and a good at point. the moment, 
there's nothing to prevent Apple, um, you know, having a an adapter. That's always a, a get out of jail. But more likely, um, what what you what we're looking for really, isn't it, is a, a standardized charger so that you don't have to have a charger with every single item you buy, hmm. and a, a standard cable. So again, you don't have to have. I mean, there was a slightly spurious bit in the report saying, oh, you know, thousands, millions of of lightning cables are thrown away every year. Well, millions of USB cables are thrown away every year because cables are basically disposable. They break. <laughs> yeah, that's when also true. Last time you had a cable that lasted more than about six months before some bit of it was dicky. Yes. So, yeah, you know what you might get with any luck would be uh, a standard, be it USB C. I mean, I did read some of this legislation, and they have said that this would have to be reviewed regularly, so that manufacturers if they came forward with a better plug or a, you know a new innovation it would be able to be put forward and say oh you know can we either add this or switch to this as yeah. the standard so none, none at the moment this is very very vague this is a kind of we should look at standardizing which actually you know yeah. is not a bad thing and uh, i don't think it would hurt apple terribly if they had to go to USB-C on the iphone I yeah it wouldn't hurt them now but I'm just thinking that we wouldn't have the great place in the future if yeah. it becomes yeah. impossible for this to move forward if we end up basically cementing now as the future forever with nothing able to move faster than the European yeah. Commission that's <laughs> quite then, slow that is quite slow but that said you know adoption of standards USB C in and of itself it was not quick. That's kind of my point. The USB consortium or the you know the T consortium or whatever they don't they don't go ah we've got a fabulous new standard it's implemented. I mean these things take quite a while. Right, which is exactly my point. The reason that USB C ever got across the line was because Apple went their own way with Lightning. That was actually what got USB C across the line. So if you make it impossible for Apple to play that role, then things get even worse. However, as I say, the EU, the EU have, you know, written into there a a clause about it being reviewed regularly and manufacturers or, you know, new standards being allowed to be proposed. So they're not they're, they're definitely saying, you know, we should not cement some kind of um, standard. Right, but how did the new standard come into being if no one's allowed to actually get stuff out until it's approved? It's... Yes, uh, chicken and egg there. There is a chicken and egg. There is. But, yeah, uh, I am deeply sceptical. I Basically, I think there was a problem to be solved five years ago. The problem has been solved. Why are we now trying to solve a non-problem? Mm-hmm. There we go. I think part of this, part of this, actually, if you read deeper into the uh, proposals, a lot more of it is still about the power bricks than the cables. A lot of people are focusing on the cable and connector end of it there's a lot more talk about because at the moment yes we standardized on usb but you know there's usb there's 1.2 and 2.4 and 5 point whatever PD and, and all the good 15, stuff you know 15 watt and fast chargers and and i think the eu are still saying really can we not focus on a, at least you know a couple of types and you've got, you know, low power, high power, maybe whatever. But then 
not every single device you buy has to come with it with a, an adapter pick or a transformer and that means you you know basically you go out you have a standard brick you buy it that's it and you don't end up with these millions upon millions of i mean if i went around my house i could probably find a bucket full of usb plugs indeed anyway like i said put a pin in it because ultimately until the commission actually come back with their proposed legislation this is all hypothetical which is sort of why i didn't want to you dwell mean, on it too much because i want to see what they actually propose what as opposed actually, to what we yeah. think they might propose so, as I say, keep an eye. We will know. We will presumably they will be on time, and they will let us know what the state of play is in the summer. At which point we can critique their final proposal, and maybe I'll change my mind. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. Okay. Well, I do believe that that has got me to the end of our rather long show notes. Like I say, it may have been a January, but it was a darn busy month of Apple news. Um, yes, and well done, Bart, for getting through it. Thank you. And thank you for giving so freely of your time and helping me to do so. Um, In no particular order, uh, let me see. Simon, would you like to tell the good listeners where they can hear more of your work? Uh, Well, the best place to find me is on the Essential Apple podcast, which you can find at EssentialApple.com or via any good podcatcher. Excellent. And Gaz, would you like to do the same? Yes, ever so easy. Go over to MyMac and uh, look for MyMac uh, podcast. I do a weekly podcast with Guy Searle. Uh, we call ourselves G-Men, and um, you can contact me directly on the Twitters, uh, twitter.com forward slash gazmaz, J-Z, cars, M-A-Z, cars. See, Guy, I can't do it without you. So, uh, yeah. And uh, just to say, we're a somewhat incestuous show again. Uh, we're, we're all members of the MyMac <laughs> podcasting network on this episode. We are indeed. Which does leave me with a bit of a problem, because normally when you're on Gaz, I play your jingle. And when you're on Simon, I play your jingle. Now I'm going to have to toss a coin. <laughs> ah, don't worry about it. And I think <laughs> no, tossing a coin is a fair thing to do. No. So, listeners, you will hear a jingle. Play somebody else's jingle. <laughs> okay, I, actually that's 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 fairer i guess i'll play someone else's jingle anyway uh there are detailed or there will be detailed show notes of all the stories that informed my thinking on this month's news and there was a lot of thinking on this month's news you'll find it all at let's-talk.ie on that same page you will find big blue buttons under a banner called support the show uh, I very, very much appreciate everyone who does so. Uh, without your support, the show simply would not exist. This is an entirely listener-supported show. There are no advertisers. The show exists because you, the listeners, support the show. And as long as you do, the show will continue to exist. And if you don't, it won't. It really is that simple. All of you who support the show in any way, shape, size or form, and that does that is by no means limited to financial support, I thank you very much. I really do appreciate all of the support. Simply reviewing the show on your podcatcher of choice, tweeting about the show, telling your friends about the show in real life, that, that place where we humans actually exist, that is extremely valuable. And then if you would like to help the show financially, uh, if you would like to contribute a small ongoing amount, then the best way to do that is Patreon. That is designed to efficiently give small dollar amounts on a regular basis. And if you'd simply like to throw in a one-off donation to help with non-recurring costs, which also exist, then you can simply um, throw. A, you can simply go to PayPal and throw a few euro or dollars or whatever currency you'd like towards the podcast. There are also affiliate links for those of you who are nerdy enough to need Linux virtual machines and the like from DigitalOcean or domain registrations from Hover.com. 
I do believe that covers everything. Thank you again, guys. I've been your host, Bart Bouchotts. You can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. My gal pals, Elisa, Suse, and Vicky, the three geeky ladies, told me to remind you that they will release a new podcast each month. So, check them out at 3 or subscribe in iTunes. The Three Geeky Ladies, part of the MyMac Podcasting Network.